day I faced a barren waste without the taste of water. Welcome to the Water is Life walking tour. Water is Life is an exhibit, a website, and the self-guided tour. The project as a whole focuses on water and water issues on McGill's downtown campus, and it's supported by the McGill Sustainability Projects Fund. This self-guided walking tour will take about 40 minutes. We'll be moving from the lower to the upper campus and then back down to finish off at the Red Path Museum. You can pause or stop at any time, then take up where you left off. We'll begin at the Roddick Gates on Sherbrooke Street West at McGill College. Make sure your water bottle is full, walk through the gates, and we'll get started. Welcome to McGill University. You're standing on the grounds of the oldest university in Montreal. McGill was founded in 1821, after James McGill left a large amount of money and property, including the land you're standing on, to the Royal Institution for the Advancement of Learning. Walk about 50 meters into the campus and you'll see a bronze statue of James McGill by David Roper Curzon on the East Lawn. James McGill was a Scotsman who came to Canada and built a life for himself in the fur trade and politics. He'd gone to the University of Glasgow and he strongly believed that Montreal needed a place of higher learning. So when he died, he left 10,000 pounds and 46 acres to the Royal Institution for the Advancement of Learning. He specified that his bequest had to be used to establish a college in his name, and it all had to be done within 10 years of his death. After a long, complicated few years of sorting out the details, McGill College officially opened in 1929. The McGill property was basically a farm when James McGill died. Take a minute to shut out the noise of today's city and picture rolling grassy meadows leading up to the mountain in the background. There are small pockets of trees and a large house with a sloped roof, two chimneys, and a long front porch. There's a large L-shaped outbuilding that looks like it might have been a barn or stables next to the house, and it's all surrounded by a fence. It looks very pastoral and idyllic. At the time, McGill's estate was named Burnside after the burn, which is Scottish for stream or brook, that ran down through the property. At that time, there were many streams that ran throughout Montreal. These have either dried out or been channeled into underground pipes and now form part of Montreal's sewer system. The Burn was one of these streams. The Little St. Pierre River, the Molson Creek, and the Rimbaud River are other examples of Montreal's long-lost waterways. On a dry day, you can hear some of these rivers rushing underground as you walk by the storm drains on certain Montreal streets. There are many references to the burn, and you can see it with other streams on old maps of Montreal. One famous story surrounding the burn is that George Mercer Dawson, who was the son of the fifth president of McGill, Sir John William Dawson, became sick after falling into its water. In the 1800s, McGill's estate extended down to what is now about René Lévesque Boulevard, and the burn crossed the land just north of there. In 1859, when George Mercer Dawson was 10 years old, he went rafting on the burn with friends and fell into the water. Afterwards, he developed Pott's disease, which is a form of TB of the spine. This stunted his growth and deformed his back. Dawson's family believed that his illness developed because of the rafting accident and his exposure to the burn's water. 
The tall building just to your east is Burnside Hall, and it houses the university's computing center, as well as the math, geography, and atmospheric and oceanic sciences departments. Burnside Hall is named after James McGill's original estate. In Seaport and City, Stephen Leacock writes that the sunken tennis court that used to exist at the foot of the McGill grounds near Burnside Hall was built on part of the Burns' original streambed. Although we don't see water above ground on the downtown campus anymore, groundwater still runs underneath, and there's minor water infiltration in some of the greystone buildings. We're going to continue walking north into the lower campus to one of those areas now. Veer right where the road splits in front of the arts building at the top of the slope and continue until you come to a set of stairs. The McConnell Engineering Building will be on your right and James Square will be directly in front of you. We'll be discussing McGill's water conservation measures later, but take a moment to look up at the flat roof of the McConnell Engineering Building. This is one of two green rooftops that McGill currently has installed on the downtown campus. More on those green rooftops later. As for James Square, construction crews hit water when they were digging outside the James Administration Building on your left to create the square. They also hit water when they were installing a new elevator in the Curry Gym. So although we generally can't see it, the university still has a lot of water around. Next, turn back around, walk back the way you came, and turn left at the Arts Building to follow the walkway back down. Turn right where the road splits again, and follow the walkway up to the Red Path Museum. This is one of the older buildings on campus, and it is the oldest building in Canada constructed to house a museum. It opened in 1882 to showcase the collections of McGill's fifth president, Sir John William Dawson, the father of Sir George Mercer Dawson, the boy who fell in the burn. This Victorian building is a good example of the older buildings on campus that have very few water conservation measures in place. There are no low-flow toilets installed here in 2012, and the older toilets use 13 or 20 litres of water per flush. To put that in perspective, over 1 billion people on our planet have access to only 20 litres of water per day. At the museum, we're flushing that down the drain in one go. There are no low-flow or automatic faucets either. We'll be looking at more recent buildings to showcase McGill's water-saving measures, but the Redpath Museum represents one of the older buildings that is a challenge for the university when it comes to water conservation. The good news is that when buildings are renovated, new water-saving measures are put into place. Something as simple as installing low-flow shower heads in the residences has decreased water usage by an estimated 58,000 liters per day. Walk a bit past the museum and turn left towards the Redpath Library. If it's summer or fall, you should see a blue and white kiosk on wheels labeled BYOB on the terrace. This is the Bring Your Own Bottle kiosk, where anyone can fill up a reusable water bottle or a mug with filtered tap water. The BYOB kiosk was a gift from the graduating class of 2011, and its goal is to reduce the use of bottled water on campus. By June 2012, the BYOB had dispensed the equivalent of 64,757 of the small 355 ml bottles of bottled water. Fill up your reusable container here or wander through the library doors and left down the main hallway about 50 meters to see the new high volume filling stations in between the bathrooms on the right hand side. They're marked up above by a square blue sign. These water fountains have the traditional drinking spout 
but they also have a dispensing unit that fills water containers and mugs, again with the aim of helping to reduce the use of bottled water on campus. There are more of these high volume filling stations in the Arts Building as well. After you've filled up, make your way back outside through the library doors, turn left and left again at the end of the terrace. Go to McTavish Street, turn right, and make your way up the hill past the University Centre and the Brown Building. Climb the steps at the top of the street, cross Dr. Penfield, and walk a third of the way up McTavish Street on the east side. When you get to an opening in the fence, turn right and you'll have reached the McTavish Reservoir, one of six drinking water reservoirs located on Mount Royal. As you're walking, consider that back in the 1600s and 1700s, Montrealers didn't have water delivered directly to their homes. They fetched their water from communal wells, public fountains, and directly from the rivers and streams that flowed through and around the island. It's estimated that each person used about two bucketfuls, so about 10 to 17 litres, of water per day back then. Today, the average Canadian uses 329 litres of water every day at home. Drinking and preparing meals account for 10% of that usage, cleaning and laundry for 25%, toilet flushing for 30%, and bathing for 35%. Montreal began to draw its water directly from the St. Lawrence River in 1819, and three key parts of Montreal's water processing complex were opened in the 1850s. The Canal de l'Aqueduc, the Atwater Pumping Station, and the McTavish Reservoir. The building that looks like a castle is a pumping station. Depending on the day, you may see people walking, picnicking, playing soccer or softball, or napping on the large, beautiful, grassy field. This field is actually covering holding tanks containing up to 37 million gallons, or 140 million liters, of treated drinking water. There are five other reservoirs on Mount Royal. Because they're located at the highest point in the city, they act as giant water towers and use gravity to distribute water throughout a network of pipes over 5,200 kilometers long. The City of Montreal plans on upgrading the membrane covering the tanks here, so you may find the reservoir inaccessible if they've started that construction. Try to see whatever you can. The reservoir was created by blasting out rock from the side of Mount Royal. The cliff you see surrounding the area on the north and northwest side is the result of that blasting. It didn't originally exist. When they were blasting the mountain in 1852, large rocks ended up being propelled through the roof of what is now McGill's Arts Building. If you go over to the southern fence, you can look down on that building. They finished constructing the reservoir in 1856, and things look different from today's field and building. There was no grass or anything else covering the reservoir. It was basically an enormous open area of water that looked like a lake surrounded by a fence. It was smaller than what you see today, it held 13.5 million gallons, or 51 million liters of water, versus 37 million gallons, or 140 million liters, today. The pump house was also different. In 1957, the reservoir was covered with a concrete slab and grassed over, and it's been enlarged twice and renovated to make it more secure. If you wander over to the cliff face, you'll see some of the streams that flow down naturally from the mountain. Depending on the day, they may just show themselves as wet areas on the rock face or trickles of water. This is a great area to visit in the spring because there are large numbers of birds nesting in the trees on the cliff. There's also a resident woodchuck that may make an appearance. Look for its burrow in the northeast quadrant, just below the concrete edge of the path.
So where does the water in the reservoir come from? It's pumped up from the Atwater and LaSalle drinking water treatment stations, which take in water from the St. Lawrence River. The Atwater Treatment Center opened in 1918, after the city had an outbreak of typhoid fever in 1910. They decided it was time to start treating the drinking water to help prevent disease transmission. The Chalgis de Bayer water treatment plant opened in LaSalle in 1978. Montreal also has four other smaller water treatment plants and one in St. Anne de Bellevue that closed in 2011. Both the Atwater and the LaSalle treatment plants draw water from the St. Lawrence River. The LaSalle plant pumps water directly from the river, while the Atwater plant gets its water via the Canal de la Coduc. That's an 8-kilometer-long canal that runs south of the Lachine Canal along De La Vérandrie Boulevard. The main water inlet in the St. Lawrence is upstream of the Lachine Rapids, 610 meters from shore, where the water contains lots of oxygen but not a lot of sediment, and where microorganism counts are low. The main inlet can provide up to 2,160,000 cubic meters of water daily. When water demand increases and we need more water, an auxiliary inlet is also used. Once the water reaches the treatment plants, it's filtered through screens to remove sediment and large pieces of debris such as wood and fish. Then the water is filtered through a bed of sand about a meter thick that traps particles suspended in the water as well as 85% of bacteria. At the LaSalle plant, an ozonation process is used to further disinfect the water. Then at both the LaSalle and Atwater plants, a small amount of chlorine is added at the end to deal with any remaining bacteria and viruses and to prevent bacteria present in pipes from multiplying. Once it's been treated, some of the water is pumped directly to parts of the city near the plants, and the rest is pumped up to the reservoirs on Mount Royal. These reservoirs then distribute water throughout Montreal using gravity. The city tests samples of water throughout its network of distribution pipes to ensure that the quality remains up to standard at all times. If needed, and this is generally during the summer, Additional chlorine is added at key points in the network. McGill also receives its water from the reservoirs on the mountain. Our water flows through a network of pipes into our downtown campus buildings, and from there we use it for everything from drinking and flushing toilets to producing the steam that heats many of our buildings in the winter. Now that we know where McGill's water comes from, we're going to make our way over to one of the newest buildings on campus and discuss some of the measures the university has put in place to help reduce our water usage. Make your way back to the entrance to the reservoir on McTavish. Cross the street and walk up the hill until you come to a path that leads west past the Faculty of Education building. Follow that path through to Peel Street. As you're making your way there, Try to envisage some of the 5,200 kilometers of pipes that lie beneath Montreal's streets. You're walking over some of them right now. The city has started an enormous project to update its water aqueducts, pipes, sewers, and storm drains, parts of which are over 100 years old. This work will take place over 10 years and cost $4.6 billion. It will help reduce the number of pipes and water mains that burst or break. It will also help reduce Montreal's notorious water loss through leakages. It's been estimated that 40% of water treated by the city is lost through leaky pipes and breaks. That's a lot of water and money that's being wasted. Part of the city project also involves installing 16,200 water meters by 2018 to gauge water usage in commercial, industrial, and institutional buildings.
The Quebec government is also hopping on the water conservation bandwagon, mandating that the province as a whole reduce its per capita water production by at least 20% and lower the leakage rate of all water networks to a maximum of 20% by 2017. Given the costs to treat water, it's estimated that reducing water production by that 20% could save the province $2 billion over 20 years. You can read about this initiative online in the province's Stratégie québécoise d'économie d'eau potable. In the summer of 2012, McGill carried out a study to evaluate how best to measure its own baseline water consumption so that we can work towards reducing our usage as much as we can. What McGill has found so far is that the biggest water user on campus is the research and academia category, followed by operations, then hygiene, then landscaping and food services. McGill is carrying out other studies in specific buildings, such as auto mass chemistry, to see if they can estimate usage more accurately and then see where that usage can be reduced. The initial target for the university is to meet the province's goals of reducing consumption by 20% by 2017. Once you've reached Peel Street, look west. You're looking at the Life Sciences Complex, or LSC. The LSC encompasses four buildings, the Francesco Bellini Life Sciences Building and the Rosalind and Morris Goodman Cancer Research Center are two new state-of-the-art facilities, and they're the buildings you see with the walls of windows. Then we have the McIntyre Medical Sciences Building, which is the tall cylindrical building, and the Stewart Biological Sciences Building, which you would see to your left if you followed the roadway under the glass walkway. The Bellini and Cancer Research Wings of the LSC were completed in September 2008, and the LSC was awarded with a LEED Gold Certification. LEED stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design, and it's an internationally accepted standard for the design, construction, and operation of green buildings. LEED looks at how sustainable the site development of a new building is, and other key categories such as the energy efficiency of the materials used, the indoor environmental quality, and the water efficiency of the building. Points are given in each category, and the higher you score, the higher you rate. In Quebec, the LSC is the first university lab to receive gold certification. We're going to focus on the measures used to improve water efficiency, but here are a few other highlights of the LSC. In terms of materials, over 96% of the waste associated with the construction of its new wings was diverted from landfill. 30% of materials used contained post-consumer or post-industrial recycled content. More than 20% of materials were locally sourced or produced. In terms of energy conservation, the complex is 38% more energy efficient than the Canadian National Model Energy Code. It accomplishes this by using a heat recovery system, a lighting system based on natural daylight coming in all of those windows, innovative ventilation and air conditioning systems, and new ways of managing fume hoods in labs. When it comes to water efficiency, the LSC has some pretty important features. Earlier on, we mentioned the green rooftop on the McConnell Engineering Building. The LSC was the first building on campus to have a green roof. Looking up at the Goodman Cancer Research Center just below the McIntyre Building, you wouldn't know there was anything different from the surrounding construction. Looking down from above, though, you'd see that instead of traditional shingles or tar and gravel, the top of the building is covered with a growth of hardy, sun-loving, drought-tolerant plants. Specific plants have been arranged so that they spell out the word V, which is French for life. 
This green roof helps absorb rainwater that would otherwise enter Montreal's storm drain system. At the same time, it keeps the building cooler, so it reduces energy consumption, and it helps mitigate the heat island effect that much of our concrete downtown suffers from. So far, the green roof is working out well. It doesn't require too much maintenance, but sometimes there are drainage issues, and it does require weeding to remove undesirable plants. These are mainly tree seeds that have blown down from the mountain and germinated. In fact, the best place to view the roof is from the mountain at the Condiapanc Lookout in front of the Mount Royal Chalet. The Life Sciences Complex also has a system that captures clean water waste from inside parts of the building and rainwater from another part of its roof and funnels both of these into a 50,000 liter cistern. This water is then used to flush toilets and urinals instead of using drinking water. This system can cut potable water consumption by up to 50%. It also removes rainwater that would otherwise enter Montreal's storm drain system. Other ways that the LSC helps save water is to use low-flow toilets and faucets, just as many of you do at home, but on a much larger scale. Campus-wide, McGill is also working on increasing operations and systems efficiencies to help reduce water usage. This includes reducing the amount of water lost by the steam heating system and the HVAC system in general. The university is also working to reduce the use of water as a coolant in labs. The new chemistry labs in the Auto Mass building are a great example of this. Instead of using enormous amounts of cold water from a constantly running faucet for cooling and aspiration, the new labs have state-of-the-art equipment that chills and recirculates a much smaller volume of water for cooling, plus it uses pumps for aspiration. This is saving a huge volume of drinking water from being dumped down the drain. Other ways that McGill has been reducing water usage on the downtown campus include changes to how we landscape. McGill is replacing some traditional lawns with other types of ground-covering plants that need less water. Feel free to wander around the LSC if you like. We're going to head back down to the lower campus to end our tour in front of the Red Path Museum. Start walking back the way you came, across Peel, along the walkway past the Ed Building, and down McTavish past the Reservoir. Continue down McTavish to the gate on your left that leads back to the Red Path Museum. As you're walking, we're going to talk wastewater. We've discussed where McGill gets its water from, but we haven't really discussed where it goes afterwards. Montreal has one main treatment plant that deals with the majority of the city's wastewater. There's also a very small treatment plant on Ile Saint-Hélène. The large plant is called the jean Marcotte Treatment Plant, and it's located at the eastern tip of the island in Pointe-aux-Trembles. Raw sewage gets to the plant via a network of tunnels called interceptors. These interceptors form a ring around Montreal, collecting and distributing wastewater to the plant, usually, but not always, before it has a chance to enter the rivers surrounding the island. We have the largest wastewater treatment plant in North America, which sounds great, but it doesn't provide the best treatment at all. In fact, it's one of the worst in Canada, and we earned an F from the Sierra Club in 2004. Part of the problem is the type of treatment the plant provides. There are three levels of wastewater treatment, primary, secondary, and tertiary. Primary is the most basic. It removes solids, oils, grease, and some nutrients and heavy metals associated with solids. Secondary treatment removes suspended solids and breaks down the organic matter in the sewage, things like food and human waste, soap, detergent, etc. It generally uses bacteria to do this. 
Tertiary treatment improves the quality of the effluent even further. It can remove nitrates and phosphates as well as fine particles, and it can also include a step that disinfects the effluent before it's discharged into the surrounding waters. Montreal's large treatment plant still only provides primary treatment in 2012, which is slightly shocking for a city its size. In 2008, Montreal announced that the plant would be undergoing a $200 million upgrade to provide ozonation treatment. This upgrade would use ozone to disinfect all of the wastewater and help break down the chemicals and pharmaceutical products that are currently dumped into the St. Lawrence River. It's 2012 and the upgrade has still not been done, which means that the effluent for Montreal's plant remains full of pharmaceuticals, heavy metals, and a lot of other contaminants. While this pollution is usually kept clear from our city's shores, it does end up somewhere downstream, and the effluent is affecting the river's ecosystem. In 2011, researchers at the Université de Montréal found that antidepressants in Montreal's wastewater aren't at a level that will harm humans, but they are at a high enough level to affect fish. Just to add to the problem, treatment of any kind may be bypassed when there are heavy rains and the collector system or pumps can't handle the extra water. That's because 63% of Montreal's territory still uses combined sewers. These funnel stormwater into the same collectors receiving our residential and industrial wastewater. When collectors can't handle the extra volume of water, raw sewage is released directly into the waters surrounding Montreal. So we have some cleaning up to do, and the sooner the better. The latest news is that the new ozonation system will start running in 2015. We've concentrated on McGill's downtown campus for this project, but out at McDonald campus, they're also exploring if it would be possible to audit water usage and looking at ways to reduce water consumption there as well. The household rainwater harvesting demonstration out at MAC, which is another project funded by the McGill Sustainability Projects Fund, shows how rainwater can be collected and used to irrigate plants. The Brace Center for Water Resources Management brings together staff from different McGill faculties and carries out research, teaching, and training on water management, rural and agricultural water issues, and climate change. There are also a large number of courses at McGill that focus on water. So if you're interested in learning more, check out the listings from the School of Environment, Bioresource Engineering, Civil Engineering, Earth and Planetary Sciences, and Geography, just to name a few. At this point, you should be approaching the Red Path Museum. The Water's Life exhibit is being rotated through different buildings around campus. Feel free to go inside the museum to ask where the exhibit is currently on display if you'd like to visit. You can leave your own water-saving tips on the last exhibit panel, fondly known as the bathroom stall. You can also read more on our website at www.mcgill.ca slash waterislife. We'd like to thank the McGill Sustainability Projects Fund and CKUT's Equilibrium Residency for all of their support and help with this recording. The music you heard was Cool Water by the Sons of the Pioneers, Piano Sonata No. 31 in A-flat major, Opus 110, First Movement by Beethoven, Wave by Antonio Carlos Jobim and Friends, and we'll finish off with You Left the Water Running by Otis Redding. Thanks to you for listening and for being part of the solution. Remember, every drop counts. Two, one, two, ready, play. You left on the-
I'm not.